Amen. When uh, a friend of mine was chaplain at Vanderbilt, a uh, lady who was, she was the Episcopal chaplain, and she had a, a pretty interesting ministry, and she uh, invited everybody. It was Christmas, and she, when she wasn't working at Vanderbilt, she had a, a ministry to former prostitutes in Nashville, and uh, she was rescuing them from that lifestyle, and she was doing a fundraiser, and the fundraiser was uh, like a tea where you would come and get your Christmas presents wrapped. And who doesn't want to have tea and watch someone else wrap their Christmas presents? And so she went. She was going to support her friend, but she just kind of went with a bad spirit. She knows, she's like, I've been to these things before. I know what's going to happen. We're going to walk in, and there's going to be all the, you know, the wealthy, upper-class people out front drinking tea and sharing stories about how wonderful their children are while uh, these prostitutes are back in the back wrapping gifts. And, you know, she didn't really like that idea, but, you know, she said she would support her friends. So she goes in, and she said what she found was shocking to her. The women in the back who were wrapping the presents were all members of the Episcopal Church there in Bellmead, wealthiest suburb in, in the state of Tennessee. They were all back there. The guests of honor who were out here drinking the tea were the prostitutes. And and the opportunity was there for you to visit with them and to hear their stories of rescue while your Christmas gifts were being wrapped. And she said, uh, she said that gave her a, a whole new vision of heaven. That, that heaven is this feast. It's a feast where we are the guests of honor. When when we're told in Revelation, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. We, we're the bride. We're, we are the guest of honor. And yet what keeps us away is oftentimes that we feel a little too good for the other guests. Uh, and, and this message today is about Jesus inviting us uh, to his feast. And the question is, uh, are you too busy to come? Jesus is inviting us to his feast. His kingdom is a feast. Are you too good to come? Are you too healthy to come? Please stand as we read this text from Luke chapter 14. There's four kind of stories in it, and I'll explain them all to you in just a second. But let's read the text first. Hear the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, Move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, 
and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the man who had invited him, Now when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, You know, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Thus far, the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. The kingdom of God is a feast, and we are all invited. Are we too good to come? Are we too good to come? So this is a parallel story to the one we studied a few weeks ago. Jesus uh, then went to uh, eat with Matthew and the, the Pharisee, uh, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, and, and he was uh, scorned for that. But to show that he has equal time, he gives equal time to everybody, he here comes to eat with the Pharisees and the, the, the rulers of the synagogue, the, the upright and righteous people. And it was very typical when ever there was a, a new rabbi in town that he would go to the synagogue he would be, he'd be invited to read he would read the Torah he would uh, give a lesson and then the, the ruler of the synagogue you know whoever the kind of head elder was would invite him to dinner the dinner would be eaten in an open courtyard and uh, while the the guests of honor sat around the table uh, there would be uh, kind of commoners in, in their outer circle uh, listening to you know the, the discussion and hoping to learn during the meal. And so four things happen during this meal. One, uh, a, la- a, a man who's got dropsy, that's uh, when well, we know now that it's caused by uh, conge- congestive heart failure and, and fluid would builds up in your hands and your feet. And they didn't know what caused it in those days and they certainly weren't able to do anything about it. And so they just kind of knew it was a sign that the person was probably going to die soon. And he came to Jesus probably out of desperation. And Jesus uses this as a teaching example. Because the Pharisees have been saying, you know, you, you're, you're not supposed to get heal people on the Sabbath. That's work. So Jesus looks at him and goes, well, is it? Is it wrong to heal on the Sabbath? Nobody answered. 
because their answers were all wrong. And he heals the man, and he just kind of points out their hypocrisy, and he says, even if an animal were to fall into a ditch, you would, you'd pull it out on the Sabbath? You won't heal the son of Israel? And he just points out the ridiculousness of that. Like, this is what the Sabbath is for. It's what the Sabbath is for. It's like, reminds me of the controversies we went through uh, a long time ago when, uh, when universities were first passing uh, kind of discrimination clauses, anti-discrimination clauses, and the, the big question came out. It says that, you know, if we say we're not going to discriminate based on sexual orientation, does that mean that, you know, RUF is going to have to let sinners come? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Of course. This is what we're here for. It's what we're here for. So then he moves on to uh, tell a story. He sees how everybody's kind of taking the seat of honor. They're all kind of trying to crowd around uh, the table and sitting as close as they can to the host. And, and he says to them, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You're, it would be awfully embarrassing for you if, if the host came up to you and said, I'm sorry, this seat is saved for, for someone else. You're going to have to be moved down. He, he, he kind of encourages them, take, take, the, take the least seat. It's, it feels great when someone comes to you and says, no, come sit by me. Come sit by me. That's, that feels good, and, and it, it'll, it'll, it'll give, you'll receive your honor from another. You're not going to be grabbing honor for yourself. And, and then he begins to talk to the, the host himself, and he says, now, when you give a banquet— the, the, the typical thing to do in this culture was to invite rich people, right? Invite people who are at your social station or higher because if you could get one of them to re- take your invitation, it was expected they would invite you back. Relationships were very transactional. He says, don't do that. Be gracious. And, and open your home to those who, who could never invite you back. Bless them. And somebody hears that and uses that as an example to jump in and talk about how great God is. Blessed are those who eat in the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells this parable, and he says, you know, you're right. He doesn't deny that. But nobody comes. He tells a parable of a rich man who gives a feast. And the feast is, is wonderful. And, and the way they would do it, you know, they would do kind of the same thing we do. Uh, they would send out save-the-date notices, Right? And the save-the-date notices were when you did your RSVPs, and they were very important because um, the, the host had to know how many cows to slaughter, how much meat to have prepared. It was a big deal in, in these days to, you know, to, to grill meat. It wasn't, you didn't just decide at 5 o'clock you're going to do it at 6. It took days of preparation, and so they had to know how many people were coming. And then, uh, so he goes out, he gets the number, he prepares the feast for all these people, and then he sends out his servants to say, all right, the meal is ready, come. And they make just ridiculous and bogus excuses. I remember the first, the first date I asked for at Vanderbilt, the girl was just too busy. She had to wash her hair. Uh, saw her later that night at a party, and I thought, and I just said, man, your hair looks great. It's Okay. It's okay. It's good to know where you are. Um, and that's, that's all these people make bogus excuses. You don't uh, buy a team of ox before you test them. You don't buy a field that you haven't seen. All these, all these excuses are bogus. And they don't come. And he gets angry and he says, go out and, and 
fill my hall. And then they go out and they invite everybody, all the poor, and still there's room. And he says, go out and make them come in. Now that's, that's a confusing verse. Uh, it's been used to justify all kinds of bad things, actually, through Christian history, like torturing people into making professions of faith. We don't do that anymore. That's not what compel them to come in means. If you had any questions about that, we don't use the rack. Um, but what in that culture, you see, you were expected to say no. If someone from a higher station invited you to their house, especially if they were significantly higher, they were inviting because they wanted everybody to know they were magnanimous, but you were expected to say no. You were expected to at least say no three times. No, no, no. No, I couldn't do that. No, no, no. And, and what the master of the feast is saying is do not take no for an answer. Get them in here. Let them know this is not a fake invitation. This is real. Get them in here. Not a single bite of food is going to be wasted. And so they go and do that. And he says, the people who refuse to come will not have a bite. Will not have a bite. So that's, that's kind of what's going on here. And let me, in all these things, again, we get back to this, this same point. The kingdom of God is a feast. The, that Jesus is inviting us to this celebration, to this feast. What excuses are we going to make to not come? So the first thing, there's four things I want you to see from all this. First of all is that Christianity starts by responding to an invitation. God is inviting us. He is an inviting God. This might be the single most significant separation between Christianity and and other religions. All other religions tend to, I'm not an expert on other religions, but as far as I know, there, there are situations where you are seeking God, right? We're going to go climb the mountains of Tibet. We're going to uh, learn the, the rules of meditation. We're going to fast. We're going to work hard to, to seek God and to show God how committed we are to Him. But Christianity starts out with an invitation. God is seeking you. He is seeking you. He is calling out to you. He is inviting you. He is knocking at the door. All you have to do to begin the path of Christianity is open the door and let him in. Just let him in. Don't get over that. That's an amazing thing. It is a beautiful thing that, that the Lord of the universe wants a relationship with you. He wants you. He is seeking you. He's not interested in you showing him how committed you are. He gave his son for you to show you how committed he is to you. That's, that is the gospel of grace. That is what we are, are, are responding to here. That's, that's who, what God's heart is for us. God is revealing his heart to us. He is, he's the one asking, you know, putting, putting himself out there and, and, and asking for the date. That's shocking. It, it really is. He is. He's asking us. He's putting himself, humbly putting himself out there, asking us. Will you respond? 
The second thing this text calls us to do is to recognize who we are. To recognize who we are. The, the, the people around the table, the Pharisees, they didn't, they didn't like the idea of, of this, this broken person, this sick person coming in and ruining the meal. I kind of get it, don't you? Kind of like, well, just can't you do that some other place? I don't want, you know, it's like, it's like going to dinner with a doctor and he gets, has to get up in the middle of the dinner because he's on call that night. And it's like, can't you do it? Can't you get sick another day? What, do you, really? You have to have your baby now. Can't you, couldn't you have thought of a more convenient time? And, and Jesus looks at them and he says, you just don't understand who you are. You are the broken. You're the one who needs healing. And, and that's an important message for us to just remember who we are. It's easy for us to just go through life thankful for what we've received, but we forget that we've received it. And so we look down on all those who haven't received it as if we're better. Does that make sense? Um, a friend of mine, Tim Starnes, you've heard, you've met him, a lot of you have met him. Funny, he came and preached for us 16 years ago, and I act like all of y'all were here. Um, anyway, he's a good friend of mine, mentor in the ministry, and uh, pastors of church in Cleveland, Mississippi, in the Mississippi Delta, where Delta State is. While he was there, uh, for most of the time he was there, he was friends with the baseball coach at Delta State, whose name was Boo Ferris. Boo uh, pitched in the major leagues for a long time and was a coach for much longer, and uh, is just a deep, was a dear sweetheart of a man. Everybody who knew him loved him. So Tim is a Dodgers fan for some strange reason. And uh, General Assembly was in Los Angeles one year, and so um, Boo comes up to him and says, "Oh, you got to call my friend Tommy Lasorda," and gives him, you know, Tommy's number. And Tim's kind of staring at it, you know, the whole way out to Los Angeles the week before. He's like, "Am I really going to call this phone number?" And uh, so he's at the hotel, and he knows the Dodgers are in town, and he's like, "Well." I guess. So he dials a number. If you know, if you've ever seen Tommy Lasorda, he's a big kind of, a little bit of a gruff, hilarious man. He's hello, uh, Mr. Lasorda. Yeah, Coach. Uh, my name is Tim Starnes, and uh, Boo Ferris gave me your number. Boo Ferris? How do you know Boo? I'm his pastor. I've been his pastor for the last ten years. You're his pastor. You pastor Boo Ferris. Boo Ferris. You want to come to a game? Sure. All right, I'll have, what, what hotel are you in? So he gets to the hotel, he sends an assistant over with an envelope full of, you know, parking passes and tickets to the game, and, and Tim still has no idea, right? So he, he drives up to the stadium, and he goes into just the first parking lot. He passes, and he shows the, the parking pass, and he says, will this, will this get me in here? And the guy looks at him and goes, are you the guest of Tommy Lasorda? Yes. Oh, you don't park here. Go back out, go past all the parking lots, swing around. You have a private road, private entry. You're not waiting in any lines today. So he goes up, parks right next to the stadium, goes to the first gate, hands him the tickets. Man, taking the tickets goes, are you the guest of Tommy Lasorda? Yeah. Oh, you're not sitting here. 
You go back to that gate, get on that elevator, secret entrance, walk out, third row from behind the dugout, and, and the whole night people were like, you're the, you're the guest of manager Lasorda. Yeah, I know. It was amazing. You know, best, best baseball experience uh, he, he has ever had, one of the best nights of his life. But he never, ever thought for a second that it was because of him. Right? There were no, he wasn't mugging for the camera. There was no cameraman, you know, look at the guest of honor here tonight. He always knew it was because of someone else. And that's, that's us. That's in the king, we are in the kingdom of God. We are the guests of honor at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But it is not because of us. And we have to remember that. Remember that every day, actively remembering it. Um, I got a friend named Seth who, he just has a tremendous way about him with, with everybody, especially if people of low station. They just, they fall in love with him immediately. And we were walking around Memphis one night, around Beale Street, and, and a guy came up to us and asked us for some money. And uh, Seth's funny. He just goes, no, I'm not going to give you money. I'll, I'll buy something from you. And uh, the guy gets kind of angry. He's like, what do you mean? He goes, and, and Seth immediately goes, hey, hey, you don't talk to me like that. I'm not below you. You're not above me. We're equals. And to see the switch that that's flipped in the guy's mind was amazing. And he said, look, I'll buy something from you. You got a, you got a cigarette? And the man was smoking. He goes, I'll, I'll buy that cigarette from you right there for five bucks, but I'm not going to give you money. And he bought his cigarette which, and smoked it, which was gross. And, um, but you know, just this... The, the, the communication of grace that comes from saying we're equals. It's a powerful thing. Re- respond to the invitation. Recognize who you are. The gospel gives us humility and confidence. The gospel tells us we are so sinful that, that God, the God of the universe had to die for us, but it gives us confidence. You're so loved that the Lord of the universe would die for you. It, it, it establishes who you are. The third thing we do is we receive God's grace. We come to the party. We come to the party. It's... We, we, we take the invitation. The, the, the invitation goes out to all. Jesus is describing here, he doesn't really go into the theology of it, but one of the things that, that he's describing here is the difference between the universal call of God and the effectual call of God. The universal call of God goes out to everyone. All day long I've held open my arms, but you would not come. Why will you die? Why will you starve? Come to me and eat good food, free, without money, come to me. No one comes. And then he sends out his Holy Spirit to compel the broken, those who know that they are broken, those who know that they are hungry, and make them come. Make them come. What excuse will we come up with not to come? Humans are amazing at our ability to come up with excuses. Amazing. A friend of mine named Paul Hahn um, planted a church in Austin, Texas around the same time that, that George Bush was uh, elected governor, and so, somebody in the church connected the two, thought they would hit it off. And so Paul went over to the governor's mansion, had dinner with George Bush, and they talked, and they, they talked well into the evening, and, 
uh, Bush, uh, President, well, now President Bush, gave him a copy of, of his favorite book. So this is my favorite book. It's a biography of Sam Houston. He said, Paul, I don't have a lot of friends. I, I would like to be your friend. Would you read this book and then call me up? Let's get together and talk about it. And Paul said, sure. And he went home and he read the book, and he never called him back. He, never, he, he just thought it was some kind of reverse arrogance. I don't know. He, he doesn't know why he never did. He says it's one of the biggest regrets of his life. He just never called him back. We, we, we make up excuses. Maybe we think, oh, they didn't really mean it, or, oh, I don't have time, or, oh, I, whatever. What, what excuses are we using to, to, to not receive grace? I think there's three categories of people who need to hear this. And first are the bystanders. Just like at that dinner, there would be people in the the bystanders just kind of listening, but not at the table. I think there's people that come to church every week or every once a month, kind of bystanders, not jumping in, not sure exactly why they're not jumping in. And maybe after, you know, after my children's life isn't so busy, after I'm not going to games every week, after I, I'm, I'm Work, work calms down. Then I'm going to receive grace. And, and my question is, are any of those things doing it for you? Um, I feel like some of us treat Christianity like I treat the ads on Instagram. Instagram's got me dialed in, man. They've got me. They know that if they can convince me that anything makes me better at golf. I'm going to click on it. I came within one click. I came within entering my credit card information, uh, which I can do with one click now, um, from buying a laser-guided system to tell me if my golf swing is online or not. And I was like, this is so stupid. Don't do it. For some reason, I'm, I'm, shocked. I'm not shocked that I clicked on it. I'm shocked I didn't buy it. And I probably will this afternoon. And um, you know, we, we just kind of live with this one-click mentality. Surely there's something, golf, uh, basketball, uh, jogging, dieting. There's something out there because my life isn't what I thought it was going to be. Surely there is one click out there that's going to make me feel complete. And, and, I, and I'm in here telling you, I know what it is. But you can't halfway get it. It's right here. It's right here. It's the body and the blood of Christ. And, and admitting that, that you don't need a little help. You are the sick. You are the broken. You need complete and utter salvation. From yourself. From your own efforts. From the world. And then there's those of us who are in Christ and have been in Christ for a long time, but there's just these specific areas where we're not receiving God's grace. Any, and, and that's everywhere you're worried right now is a place where you're not receiving God's grace. You, you know the Lord has loved you enough to give you His only Son, but you don't really think He's loved you enough to, 
give you a better job, to get your bills paid, or to take care of your children. Every guilt and, and regret, those regrets, you, you know, you, you're, or you hate to see somebody because you just can't, you remember the things you said, and you know that the Lord has given you his son to wash away the sins of the world, but he just can't wash away that dumb thing you said or that thing you didn't say or that thing you didn't do. You don't believe the Lord can redeem that. Where are you not receiving God's grace? What's, what is it in your past that's not healed? Are you still mad about something that was said seven years ago? Two election cycles ago. And you're still mad about it. And you're holding out. Is God's grace not big enough for that? What are you, where are you not receiving? And finally, after we receive God's grace, Jesus tells us to reflect God's grace. It, once you've truly, this is one way that you know that you've received God's grace because it becomes fun to share it. It gives you joy to give back. It gives you joy to give back. And it means our relationships are not transactional. We don't only eat with people, invite people to eat with us. We don't only spend time with people that we want to be like that we want to invite us back. We, we actually are gracious to people that we don't like. We might actually appreciate the grace. We might actually need it. I'm going to actually, this is going to be funny. There's the, the unintended consequences of this. Is every one of you are going to be like insulted by your next uh, invitation to dinner. But... Uh, <laughs> What do you mean you're inviting me? You're just doing this because Ricky told you to invite somebody at a lower station, aren't you? Uh, but I want to invite you. I want to encourage you to take this literally. However that looks for you, giving uh, an invitation to somebody who doesn't need it, uh, give, uh, who needs it desperately, who doesn't deserve it, forgiving somebody who's never asked, inviting someone to Maundy Thursday dinner that isn't going to be the life of the party. Take it literally. What does it look like to actually give ourselves away, give our stuff away to somebody who can't give it back? What does that look like? i tell you what it looks like. It looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. Let's, let's actually challenge ourselves to, to take this literally to not just invite the people to the party who are going to make us happy. Let's invite somebody that we can make happy. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, you are the giving, inviting, seeking God. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would overwhelm our excuses overwhelm our bitterness, overwhelm our arrogance, overwhelm our fear, and enable us to open our hands and put all of those things in your lap 
where they immediately seem so small. <laughs>